This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Welcome to Love Alexi. My name is Alexi Wasser. I'm your host. This is my podcast, and uh, I have a great guest today. If you're a filmmaker, a young filmmaker, a new filmmaker, an aspiring filmmaker, ugh, I don't like the word aspiring. Why do people use that word? Just do what you want to do. Don't aspire to do it, and don't refer to yourself in the third person as an aspiring anything. It's so irritating. So now you know how I feel about the word aspiring. Let's get back on track, shall we? If you're a young filmmaker, a movie lover, what have you. Um, or on the precipice of being a first-time filmmaker, whoever you are, if you make films or you like movies, my guest today uh, is perfect for you because uh, his name is Adam Rifkin. He's a writer-director. In fact, he's the writer-director of The Last Movie Star, which is out now. Uh, it stars Burt Reynolds. It's currently in select theaters, and it's available on all platforms. We're talking VOD, Blu-ray, etc., cetera, uh, being distributed by A24. And uh, if you don't know about A24, let me tell you, A24 is the coolest company. So when a movie is distributed by A24, uh, it's a good movie. It's worth seeing. I'm, I'm serious. They're like the cool kids. Like you want to be affiliated with A24. So I'm very proud of Adam Rifkin and uh, excited for all of you to see his movie, The Last Movie Star. But there's more. Adam Rifkin... Uh, and he's directed and written many things in the past, but we're talking now. We're trying to be present and uh, talk about what's happening circa now. Adam is also the director of Director's Cut, written by and co-starring the iconic magician Penn Gillette of Penn & Teller. And uh, Director's Cut is going to be released in select cinemas starting May 10th and will be available on all platforms, VOD, Blu-ray, etc. May 25th from uh, a different distributor, uh, they're cool too. They are very cool too. How dare you? How dare you? I know I went off on A24, but they're cool too. Distributed by Dread Central Presents, um, which is a division of Epic Pictures. So there you have it. I've given you all the information. You have it. You know what my guest is up to. And uh, this is just a really lovely, straightforward conversation. It's one of the first podcasts I did from the privacy of my own home. So I used to podcast and I used to record at uh, at Meltdown Comics in West Hollywood. That's where my studio was. But uh, Meltdown Comics has since closed. So this is the first time I've recorded um, a conversation on my own. And I did it. And I think the sound quality is good. It's also the first episode where Aristotle is no longer my silent sidekick, lingering, lurking in the background in the shadows, a young 20-something, just wearing headphones, shrugging up a storm, but just knowing he was there was nice, and he's not part of my show anymore, and that's kind of sad. 
but I suppose life changes and you just got to keep moving forward. Let me tell you what's really going on with me today, guys. I am, uh, I don't want to say depressed because I don't want to, I don't want to tack on that word to my life and, and so it solidifies and becomes completely real, but I don't feel great. I'm PMSing, but I don't want to use that as a crutch, but it should be a crutch. Uh, like, it is a valid excuse. My hormones are feeling crazy. I have cramps. Um, I'm tired. I drank rose yesterday with girlfriends, and I just feel icky today. And maybe it's because I'm slightly hungover. I don't think that's what it is. It's definitely having to do with being PMSy, but I just feel uber sensitive and um, not as bright and sparkly and sprightly as uh, as I usually do. So pray for me uh, that everything's going to be okay and I don't text anybody anything dramatic or uh, emotionally uh, outrageous and spiral um, for no reason based on stories that are not true inside my head. Um, so yeah, I'm going to talk myself off the ledge right now and go live my life. I'm about to be a guest on someone else's podcast right now. I'm going to be on the, the Poundcast my friend Doug's podcast. That'll be fun. Um, and uh, I do want to say, if you like this podcast uh, and all that it offers, the gritty realness of feelings and emotions and uh, two-hour in-depth conversations with people, hey, thank you very much. Subscribe on iTunes, rate the show, leave a comment, tell anyone who will listen about the show. And if you want to help uh, financially support the show and become a patron saint of the Love Alexi podcast, then uh, go to my Patreon page, patreon.com forward slash Alexi. If everybody listening right now pledged a dollar, do you know what we could accomplish, you guys? Do you know how incredible that would make me feel? How uh, how wonderful and how much the... Uh, I mean, what a celebration of the Love Alexi podcast if all of you out there were to do that. Anyway, um, but that is up to you guys. Absolutely no pressure, but please do it. Um, also, if you want to find me on Instagram and all of social media, uh, that's where my all my real darkness and uh, you know intense intense truths lie. Um, find me on Instagram at Alexi Wasser. I'm also on Twitter sometimes at Alexi Wasser, and you can follow my guest Adam Rifkin on Instagram. Adam underscore Rifkin on Instagram. Uh, I'm sure he's not as forthcoming as I am on my Insta stories where I uh, overshare way too much, but you know what? Follow him. Follow him anyway. Yeah, you guys. Oh my God. I woke up this morning with like a cloud over my head, listening to like old timey jazz being like, ugh. You know, it's like, I just feel like I'm punished for my vulnerability and like, and you know, why are people mean to me? Or I feel like everybody hates me and like, oh, I, I, why do I need so much validation from, uh, you know, uh, other people and outside sources and, you know, and just all these other weird feelings like, like, uh, sometimes I just want to be free to be myself without judgment. And why can't I trust anybody and feel cozy with people? And I don't know. I was just having this internal spiral of just being like thinking that I need to change the way in which I live my life, which is actually impossible unless I actually take, unless I were to take a break from drinking, because I, I know that drinking is a depressant. So even if I have like two big glasses of rosé and ice, uh, I am more likely to wake up the next morning um, feeling uber sensitive. So changes I can make would be don't drink, meditate more, uh, always get enough sleep and be nicer and more gentle to yourself and don't be so fucking hard on yourself. 
But this morning I was like, I'm just going to close up shop. I'm just going to close my heart and I'm not going to open up to, up to anybody because you can't depend on people and, uh, you know, and like everybody else is so tough and I just need to toughen up too because I just get, my heart just gets stomped on left and right. That's how I was feeling about like the world and, uh, you know, but I have wonderful friends and I love all my friends and I had had such a nice night the night before with two of my girlfriends who came over. Um, but uh, yeah, I just woke up in this bizarre funk. And uh, I hope to shake it off. Thank you guys for listening. And uh, all that aside, I just wanna I wanna I wanna put a muscle on right now and not overshare it. I, I've already shared enough. All that aside, I hope you have a nice time and are inspired by my conversation with filmmaker and friend Adam Rifkin. We are now recording. Oh my God, Adam Rifkin, my guinea pig. Um, right. It still sounds good. It still sounds good. Yeah. Oh my god. Um, welcome to the podcast, Adam Thank Rifkin. You. Oh my goodness. <laughs> okay, for those of you listening, uh, I'm I'm filled with neurotic, anxious energy because it's my first podcast I'm recording without Aristotle. My sound producer's name is Aristotle. I was on the Nerdist Network. Mm-hmm. I had a studio at Meltdown. They closed Meltdown Comics. Yeah, I heard about that. That's very sad. Yeah. Moment of silence for Meltdown Comics. And right back to it. Okay, so uh, so now I'm like podcasting um, in my apartment. But it's a lovely apartment, it and it a, smells good. Does it really? Yeah. <laughs> I, I noticed that when I first... <laughs> oh <my laughs> Just God. to give a blow-by-blow blow of what happened. Tell him. Alexi uh, uh, reeled backwards in laughter, and in doing so, the ear pods that were attached between her ears and the recording device yanked her eardrums out. I nearly fucked my entire Zoom uh, recording device up, but that, that never happened again. Okay. Um, yeah. And uh, but my house smells good. Smells really good. You are. I'm trying not to use the word murderer, panic, terrified, monster. Because these are all words I use to describe myself all the time. So I'm trying to interesting. I'm trying to eliminate this from my vocabulary. You know, if you had, if someone asked me to describe you, I wouldn't think to use any of those words. Really? Yeah. Well, I want to train myself not to think to use any of those Good words idea. too. But uh, but I was just going to make a joke and say that like you know I trust you in my apartment because normally I was like oh my god I'm going to have now I'm going to do my podcast from my apartment I'm going to be alone with just like I have such a good feeling about you. It's not about Thank you. Thank you. But uh, <laughs> I was like. Who knows what could happen? You invite some stranger. It's just you alone. You have to be very careful who you choose on your podcast. Yeah. Well, I'm going to go right back to a studio. It's just today I'm doing doing two back to back. But anyway, this is about you. We're shining a spotlight on you. Tell me all this stuff. I mean, tell me everything. I can't believe. How do we know each other? We know. I was thinking about that when I was on my way over here. Okay. We know each other because if I'm not mistaken. Oh my God. I'm I'm terrified. We. Fuck. We. We struck up a conversation mm-hmm. at M Cafe once. Of course. Many, many years ago. Really? That's right. Tell me every detail that you can remember. Once this is what I remember. Oh, boy. I remember that you were sitting alone mm-hmm. and I was in line. And I don't remember who spoke to whom first, mm-hmm. but I remember we started conversing. And I remember it came up that you were an actress, but you said, don't worry, though, I'm an employed actress. Oh, God. <laughs> Well, because I don't want people, to, other people, to feel bad for me. I'm like, I, I, and I didn't. Thanks okay. to your, you put me at ease immediately. So thank you. Wait, did you come out with like I'm a director, and I went, I'm an actress, but don't worry, I'm an, I'm. A, I don't remember if if it came out that I was a director, but I okay. remember it came out that you were an actress. Yeah. Or an actor. Oh, um, actress. I'm old timey. It's okay. okay. Yeah. Um, and I don't remember much else about the conversation other than 
since then we've known each other. Yeah. And uh, we converse through social media. Through social media. I see you in commercials and on billboards and in things all the time. I love that. And I'm always keeping up with what you're up to and, and I hear you do your Insta stories and uh, I'm always aware of the comings and goings. You watch my Insta stories? Of course. I can't believe this. Well, you do them for people to watch them, I assume. That is true, but I didn't know you were one of them. It's so exciting. I'm, I'm so flattered. I don't take this for granted. Um, I had one podcast guest uh, who will remain nameless. Uh, who cares? But whatever. Uh, he was like, he would always watch my Insta stories, and he was like wildly successful, probably like a billionaire, living his life, 60 years old or something, whatever. And he was like, he's like, I like your Insta stories. But you come across so lonely, <laughs> so lonely. And I was like, I'm not though. And then I and then I really started tuning into like uh, the intention of what's behind every post. Like, and I, then I realized like when I do Insta story the most, it's usually because I'm like so ecstatic and I'm so excited. And I am by myself because I'm not Insta storying when I'm with, an, with another person. Of course not. So yeah. But you use social media like a ton for everything that you do, right? I do. I'm not great at using it for my personal life. I'm, I, I, I guess I use it to promote my stuff. Yeah. But I get shy about just being forthcoming. Yeah. Which is something you're very good at. But would you be scared to? I'm not putting you on the spot, but I am. But uh, would you be scared to date a person who? Oh my god, I'm getting weird feedback. I hope the sound quality of this. Everybody, I hope the sound quality is to perfection. Might not be. How dare you? Should we test it? Oh, I think it's good now. Okay. It feels good. But would you date somebody who puts himself out on the internet? As yeah, much I as would. I, I wouldn't just necessarily want to participate yeah. in that aspect of what of their lives. But <clears throat> if that was what they do, that would be fine. Would you have to make boundaries with the person you date? Have you had to do that with girls before where you're like, I don't mind it. I support this futuristic way. We all live our lives where it's like seeking validation or whatever it comes from, desperation, validation, sharing, art, whatever the fuck. But you have to be like, I don't want to be part of that. I haven't had to say it quite like that, but I have said some, you know, generally speaking, some things I think are nobody's business. Yeah. Let's just not have it be anybody else's business, you know. Do the girls get mad at you? No. The harem. I'm like painting a picture of a harem. Do all the girls get upset? (laughs) I can't believe it. Are you single now? Uh, I am uh, single. You're single? Yeah, yeah. We'll get to that in a minute. But like, but so do the girls get mad at you? Because I can totally see myself being like, oh, I totally respect that, babe. And then like three days later being like, I can't believe this. Like, you know, how dare you tell me what to do? Or why are you ashamed of me? It's never been an issue. No, and it never... uh, but I've never dated anybody who has been super active with, uh, you know, posting everything. But just am I super active? Would you call me super active? Well, I think that's part of what you do professionally. Okay, yeah, that's true. So I mean, that's about you, though. I'm sorry. <laughs> Keep going. <laughs> so I would put you in a different category. All right. Yeah. Insane. Well, there's nothing wrong with you know the word insane um, has a negative connotation, but yeah. I don't think it should. Okay. I mean, so, we're all insane, so ins- right? We're so all here. So insane is the word you mean? <laughs> we're all here in in Hollywood pursuing this crazy uh, career of yeah. ours. So I think we're all a little bit insane, maybe. So my stomach trailing. Please don't judge me. But uh, so, so you would use the word insane? No, I wouldn't use the word okay, insane in the, in the pejorative. Okay. Oh my god. I would use it in a in a in a uh, in the same way that everybody who is pursuing. Uh, Oh, a yeah. career in Hollywood is insane for, for doing something. Why are they insane for doing it, do you think? Why don't they just uh, have a lot to express and want to share their ideas and make a dent in the world and the consciousness? Well, I think that that's exactly what they're doing. But it's unusual compared to what most people pursue. Yeah, 
like desk jobs. Yeah, which is which is fine for people who are fine with that. Yeah, but uh, you know, but you for for folks like us, I don't know if it's 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 the way we would be happy. Yeah, I think I would be miserable. Yeah, or I would know that I'm not rising to my full potential of Insta storying a lot. Just kidding. But or (laughs) but so, how old were you, and when where were you? Like, what was the moment? We're gonna take you back through your life. Okay. We're gonna bring it. We're gonna. It's, it's gonna be tangential. Okay. We're all over the place in this first time. I'm just going with it. I know you are. I like I'm, it. I'm just a self talk for me. I'm like doing cognitive behavioral therapy on my on myself. But uh, so how, so you're a writer, a director, a producer, an actor. Like, well, technically, I guess I have acted, but I wouldn't insult the profession. Oh, by shut calling up! Calling myself an actor. Oh my god, you're for sure an actor. Okay, whatever. Um, but you are. But so when did this all happen? Like when, how old were you when we were, you were like, this is what my life is going to be? Well, um, when I was about three or four years old, my grandfather, the great Harold Sokol uh, in Chicago, mm-hmm. uh, bought me an issue of what was then a popular magazine called Famous Monsters of Filmland magazine. Oh my God, that sounds like what I would call my magazine. <laughs> this is great. Okay, yes. And it was, an, it was a magazine that just basically celebrated movie monsters and mostly movie monsters from previous eras. Old universal monster movies and British horror movies and, and things like that. Yeah. And those were popular on television at the time. You know, they were, hadn't been... Those, the old ones were always playing on, on local television. Like what shows? Not like the monsters. Well, uh, not more, well. That was part of it. That was all wild. part of the. That was all part of the. You know, the when all the Universal monster movies that were made in the 30s came on television in the 50s and 60s, it created a monster mania that then was re. That was, so then there was a renaissance of monster movies and monster TV shows. Yeah. the monsters came out of that. Oh, because that's what I would watch. I was like, I would always watch repeats of like when I Love Lucy doesn't fall into this category, but it was like I Love Lucy. Twilight Zone, The Monsters. Yeah, I love The Monsters. Donna, all of those. Bewitched and Donna Reed. Anyway, yeah. so you were reading this magazine. So when I was three or four years old, became obsessed with monsters, movie monsters. Yeah. And the local horror show host in Chicago was a guy named Sven Gulli. Sven Gulli. Sven Gulli. That was now, his God-given name, for uh, sure. That's right. Yeah. In those days, as, as you may recall, um, every lo- uh, local television region had a... Horror host. L.A. had Elvira. Oh, really? New York had Zachary, and there were other regional ones all over the country. Yeah. Chicago had Sven Gulli, and he would host a show where they'd show old monster movies, and then between the commercials, he'd do little shtick. Oh my god, I had no idea. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, watching Sven Gulli, and Sven Gulli is the only one who's still doing it. He's a, he's you can watch him on Me TV. Me TV. Where do you find that? Across the country, it's on my. I have. Uh, uh, direct TV, so it's okay. online. I Stop mean, bragging, okay? <laughs> you're doing a you're do- <laughs> I have a tiny apartment. I don't have Direct TV. So, How dare you? Okay, so, so on Sven Gulli, yeah, I got a uh, film education because that's where I saw for the first time all the Universal monster movies, all the Hammer horror films from England, yeah, all the Japanese monster movies uh, like Godzilla, etc. I saw all the AIP drive-in movies. That's where I saw them all. And so my first love of movies was a love of, of horror and sci-fi movies. Yeah. That event, and then I, around five or six years old, I shanghaied my father's home movie camera and started making little movies with my sister and my friends. What kind of camera? Super 8 camera. A Super 8 camera. Yeah. How did you edit? 
Well, I had a little Super 8 editor, and I had to cut the film and tape it with the little... You did? Yep, the, and you'd, you'd crank it in the little screen, and it How was... How old were you? I was probably about six when I started doing six that. Six years old? Who was encouraging you? Nobody really was encouraging me, but nobody... That makes me feel better, because where dis- were my encouragers? Nobody yeah. discouraged me. Nobody discouraged you. They just yeah. ignored you, and they They just were happy that I was happy doing it. That's good. Okay, keep going. So um, that love of... Monster movies eventually evolved into a love of all kinds of movies, and then I became a real just student of movies. Wait, what was the transitional into like uh, the transition into non-monster movies? What movie was that? The movie that that had the biggest impact on me that changed my view of film from just something that was fun and cool and and uh, uh, frivolous to something that was more profound was when I saw One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Oh, really? Yeah, that movie. Um, really affected me and it made me realize that film can be transformative. It can change the way you think about the world. It can change the way you think about people, the way you feel. Yeah. So that movie opened up my mind and then I just started taking in all kinds of movies. You're wearing a taxi driver t-shirt right now. I am. And this is one of my favorite movies too. Do you know I've never seen Taxi Driver? You've never seen Taxi Driver? I I think my father took tons of like stills from that movie Mm -hmm. or and then talked about it so much that I feel like I've seen it and because it's so famous it's one of those movies where like... Gone with the Wind. I've never seen Gone with the really? Wind. And I've seen a million movies. I'm like a... All I do is Everybody has those few movies that everybody's yeah. seen, but you haven't seen. But I'm jealous of you oh, that you can I, see Taxi Driver for the first time I at this age. Yeah. 72. You're, you're 72 I'm years 70, old? No, I'm just fucking You up. look but, great. Uh, thank you very much. Yeah. I think I'm aging great. Um, I only recently saw The Godfather. Another one of my favorite movies. Yeah. I can't believe... And I had no idea... Because I was so used to like uh, Al Pacino's performance in Scent of a Woman, where that's the, yeah, he, the screaming, the like, Al Pacino. Yeah, yeah, like, and I was just like, oh, that—that's what I would think of Al Pacino because when I was coming of age, like, that's the movie I saw that left an imprint. And I was right. like, I was like, why is it? What is this thing with Al Pacino? I know he's fancy. I know we're supposed to love him. He's a master, or whatever, what he does. But that performance was so irritating to me. And then seeing The Godfather only a week ago, I watched Godfather one, one and two. Uh, and I was like blown away by his stillness. Yeah, I could not. He's brilliant in those movies. Believe, yeah, yeah. he's beautiful. He's brilliant. And yeah. then you, all the other people like Bruno Kirby or and uh, mm-hmm. who else? You know, everybody like Robert De Niro. Like I yeah. couldn't. I mean, for me, it's like I'm like, wow, you guys. Has anybody seen The Godfather? <laughs> I, mean, I just I don't need to tell you. You, of course, you know this, but uh, but yeah, that was like shocking to me because I always I love mafia movies and I saw like you know I love Casino and Goodfellas and I just rewatched like. The Sopranos series, sure, like in a yeah. week or something, but yeah, I can't believe it took me so long. Anyway, well, Godfather yeah. One and Two are potentially the two greatest movies ever made. Why do you say that, and why should I feel that way? Well, I just think that they are so beautifully made, yeah. so beautifully performed, so uh, so effective, yeah. emotionally, viscerally. I just. I just can't imagine. I mean, there are so many great movies. Don't get me wrong. What are your favorite movies? And then we'll get back. Well, oh, no, two, keep going. Two of those movies are, those are two of my favorite movies. Yeah. Taxi Driver is one of my favorite movies. Yeah. Harold and Maude is one Harold of my favorite Maud. movies. Harold and Maude. I feel like I look like the boy in that movie. You, maybe a Not little bit. Not to keep bringing it back maybe to Maybe a little bit. This is my podcast. You, you look a little bit like Harold, maybe. You look a little bit like Harold's sister. Cool. I like yeah. that. I'll take yeah. that. So, but those are the two, Godfather 1 and 2 are quite possibly two of the best movies. Why? Beautifully made, yeah. directed, acted, uh, emotionally impactful, viscerally impactful. I just find them to be compelling. I find them to be uh, endlessly watchable. I could watch them both in a row and then the next night watch them again. Yeah. 
who shot those? Gordon Willis? No. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Oh, God. Yeah. Man, look at me. I can't believe it. <laughs> but uh, did he die? Is he still alive? I think he died. He I think he okay. died. Um, but then, okay, so the first one flew over the cuckoo's nest. That was a movie where you're like, oh, you can you can change people's minds about yes, things. Yes, I loved yeah. that movie. Okay. How old are you when you watched that? I was probably about... 12, 12, maybe, roughly. And with sound, I'm realizing, touching this a bunch makes sounds in my ear. Uh-oh. So I'm realizing. I'll be that's, very careful. No, I'm just letting you know. It's all, I'm discovering all of this today with you. This I'm excited today. to be doing this with yeah. you in a new way. This is a new it's way. Fun. We are on my couch. This is what's happening. Yeah. I actually turn this couch when I want to face the screen. Sometimes people oh, yeah. are concerned. Well, they're, like, they're like, what I are you doing? How are you doing that? I want to get a projector. Anyway, that's neither here nor there. But okay, so you saw, and are you cozy? I'm great. Okay, because so you want to yeah. curl up and get cozy, whatever. Maybe I'll lean back on the you, couch you here. You have that option. You can put I'll your feet it. on the couch. I don't give a fuck. Really? You can get in that corner. My shoe is on. And if it's you want, okay. you can be in the corner, and, and so, as long as you're still in front I of me. I feel good like this. Okay, good. Are you all right? I'm good like this. Okay. Oh, God. So you see that movie, and then what happens? Well, then I just start taking in all kinds of... So now, around the time that I first saw One Full of the Cuckoo's Nest, because I'm a little bit older, so home video was brand new around that time. So suddenly, all these movies that I had never seen but heard of started to be available on videotape. Simultaneously, there were several theaters in Chicago, several revival houses that I would also frequent quite a bit. So between the revival houses and the burgeoning home video market, Yeah, I started to see all these movies that I had only heard about or read about. <clears throat> Gross. And I, and I had, <laughs> excuse me. No, and I had, I, I basically gave myself a, a film education, not because I was thinking about it that way, but just because I was loving movies. So I just yeah. wanted to see movies. I'd see Taxi Driver and I think uh, Martin Scorsese uh, is a genius. I want to see everything he made. So then yeah. I would, and this was before the internet. So you'd have to buy oh God, a yeah. book that had directors listed in it, and it would list their their credits in it. Yeah, you'd have to go to the library or something. You couldn't just look it up. It was very difficult to find these movies, to find out who made these movies, um, and it was a certain point of pride to know these things because it was not easy to. Uh, uh, to get a hold of this information. Would you go to the video store? Did you work at a video store? And then at a certain point, I worked at a video store. Which one? Well, in Chicago, it was a mom and pop video store. Tell me the name. Video King. Video King. Yeah. I have a lot of friends who worked at Kim's Video in New uh-huh. York. Right. And then I used to go to 2020. Bridie and Elliott. Bridie Elliott worked at where? Kim's. She did? I believe so. Oh, earlier before we actually started doing this podcast, uh, we have a mutual friend, Bridie Elliott. I love Bridie so much. She's talented. She's fabulous. She loves you. And I love her. She's and the best. What's her your movie that she is obsessed with and thinks is the so The Dark great? Backward. The Dark Backward. Oh, that's what she... You guys met because she tweeted at you? We met because she tweeted that she loved The Dark Backward once, many moons ago. And I tweeted back, thank you. And then I started following her and I saw that she was very funny in so the things funny. that she would tweet. And I wrote her and I said, you're so funny. Have you ever considered a career in comedy or anything like that? And I had no idea ah! that she was part of this comedy dynasty. So then... <laughs> We just had another mishap with the ear, earphones. I get so excited by my guests. I like fling myself back and then I don't realize I'm connected via like shitty earphones to the, uh, the recorder. Go on. So I was you- then humiliated when I realized, <laughs> oh, she's from a comedy dynasty. Dynasty. Yeah. Right? Um, but we've become great friends and she wrote and directed a fabulous movie this year that premiered at Sundance that she also starred in with her whole family. Chris Elliott, Abby Elliott. 
Their mom. Their mom is the yeah. star of the movie. Yeah. Yes. I mean, it's a really great movie. Yeah. Um, it's called Cla- Claire's Ghost. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I'm very excited for that movie for her. Yeah. Um, but let's try I'm going to go back to this linear journey, I think. Okay. We're, so think we're not really on I'm one. I'm taking but, in yeah. all these movies. But that is right? an education watching movies, you think. Do you really think that counts? It's like watching movie after movie after movie is an education in I think that's film? the best education in film. I think no matter what you talk about, read about, learn about, there's no substitute for sitting down and just watching movie after movie. It's a language. Yeah. So like if you're learning Japanese, the more you speak Japanese, the more you live amongst the Japanese, the more you're going to naturally uh, uh, understand and, and become familiar with the language. So the same with film. The more you watch films, the more you're just familiar with the language of story, visual storytelling. Yeah. And I didn't realize that when I was doing it growing up, but it just happens. You just watch all these movies and suddenly you start to just understand intuitively how this shot connected to this shot connected to this shot creates tension or this shot connected to this shot creates something comedic yeah. or this shot connected to this shot is makes it set more sad or more lonely or more funny or more frenetic. You know, these things just, you just soak it in like a sponge. You're so right. Sometimes I'll watch movies and take notes and go, wow, that tiny little thing, that's creating tension for me. Exactly. Oh, wow. I'm going to use yeah. this later if I ever want to make something and create tension. Exactly. If I don't have enough or something. Yeah. yeah. He's coughing. I did it off Adam mic has now. Got me off mic, but I want to let you guys know. <laughs> Never a dull moment. This is a very honest yeah, podcast. Yeah, it's an authentic podcast. I like that. Oh, my God. All those words drive me crazy lately. Authentic, sex positive, whatever, a bunch of other words too. Self-care. Have you heard all these words I have heard them. They're all very popular right now. I mean, I know, I like what they mean, but although, I don't know, they irritate me. Fuck. I understand. God damn it. I'm trying not to use the word irritate. Yeah, I'm trying not to use the word irritate either. Okay. So you're watching all these movies, living your life, and then, I mean, you know your story better than I do, but I like, so when do you make your first, like... Well, what happened was... And by the way, while I was making movies with my friends, I always knew from the time I was, like I said, five, six, seven years old, I didn't understand what a director specifically was or a producer specifically was or a screenwriter was, but I knew, I knew movies got made yeah. in Hollywood and I was going to move to Hollywood and make movies someday. Yeah. But in the meantime, I just made movies with my friends because it was fun and I didn't understand what I was doing at the time, but I actually was teaching myself the principles of filmmaking just by doing it. Yeah. So when I would make um, these films, well, the first film I ever made was called The Lady Giant. The Lady. Was it about me? It was. <laughs> <laughs> I'm huge. I got to cut. I got to stop talking about me and inserting myself every, every chance I get. It's it starred horrible. my sister. Oh, cool. As sounds- a giant. Mm-hmm. I had built a little cityscape out of an erector set. I had matchbox cars. And the, the plot of the two-minute movie was that she was just going to stomp on everything. Yeah, love it. And we shot it on the back porch. But... I remember having a huge fight with my mother because my sister was about three or four, so I was about six, five or six. Uh, so I had a huge fight with my mother because it was cold out, and she insisted that my sister wear her coat, her big like, puffy coat. And you're like, that fucks up the shot. I said, giants don't wear coats. You knew. I, I was furious. <gasps> this was my first uh, argument with the studio. I love 
have it. Yeah. The Studio One, of course. Really? So in the movie, my sister's wearing her big, puffy winter coat. Oh, my God. Yeah, yeah the movie was compromised. My first compromise. You're cre- you creatively compromised. Yeah, I but, can't believe it. But directing is an art of compromise. She so. is your maker, though. You had to that's, do what she said. That's true. I get it. So anyway, the movie turned out... Um, didn't get into Sundance. <laughs> no, it didn't. Didn't even get, didn't get into Slam Dance, <laughs> South by. Okay, keep going. But anyway, so then I started making movies with my friend Greg Anderson, and he would play multiple roles. Oh, God. So, <laughs> I, but, but I didn't understand when I first started doing it how to edit yet. So we'd do a shot of him knocking on the door, right? And then I'd cut. We'd do what's called in-camera editing. So I'd cut the camera. Yeah. Then he'd change costumes, and then he'd go to the chair oh. and he'd we'd film him sitting in the chair and he'd turn and go who's there and then cut and That's then fun. he'd change costumes again and then go back to the door and he'd open the door and say it's me and I'm here to kill you and then he'd change costumes again and then he's in the chair and he's like oh my god it's you and then back and forth and back and forth until he killed himself yeah with a, he stabbed himself with a knife and then we oh. had a dummy for the actual stabbing and uh, later I figured out because I I saw that you could buy a film editing system if I shot all one direction first, and I just figured this out out of necessity because it was exhausting us yeah. to change costumes and everything. Uh, we could shoot all one direction first, then shoot all the other directions second, and then I could just cut it together later. Yeah. And then suddenly I had invented editing in my mind. Incredible. You know? yeah. <laughs> it happened in Chicago? In Chicago, Okay, yeah. the creation yeah. of editing, yes. Yeah. So uh, film editing was invented by me. Just, uh, you know, I, I don't want to brag, but... Exclusive. Um... <laughs> It's funny though because people still people will do that on Insta stories. If you want, I was thinking, oh god, you could make a whole movie in one day on Insta stories just right. for fun. Doing that essentially, where yeah. it's like the next fifteen seconds is like you right. know running for you know in editing whatever. Yeah, yeah. Now you can't really do that on with digital uh, uh, cameras so much because every time you turn on and off the camera, it's a different file, so you have to actually cut it all together but when you oh. shoot with super 8 film it's one cartridge Continuous. of film yeah so when you turn on the camera and turn off the camera it just stops and then it resumes again yeah so you can do in-camera editing there anyway so when i was 17 years old i'm cutting out that pause I, <laughs> okay good <laughs> okay. when i was 17 years old i moved out to hollywood you did yes where, where, where was your dad by the way my dad and my mom both were in Chicago. Yeah. They were not married by, at that point anymore. But I moved out here with the original idea of going to USC film school. Okay. Wait, and what did your dad do and what did your mom do? My dad was a captain for Delta Airlines for 40 years. Oh, wow. And my mom was a school teacher. Do they understand you or your life or get you at all? Well, they're very supportive. They do. And they, they think it's fun that I do what I do. They like it. Is it excruciating to go back home? Well, you know... Interesting you should say that. None of my family lives back in Chicago anymore except my grandmother who just two nights ago finally passed away at 97 years old. I'm so sorry. Thank you. So it's very sad. Yeah. Um, It's not tragic to die at 97, but it's still sad to die at 97. But now that she has gone, I don't see many more reasons why I will ever go to Chicago, go to Chicago again. Yeah. Where are, your, where are your mom and dad now? My mom lives out here. My dad lives in Vegas. Oh, that sounds fun for your yeah. dad. And now well, your mom's close to you. And- my dad moved to Vegas um, when he retired and he hates gambling and he hates the desert. Does he like women? 
Well, he's married, so uh, I think he, I think he likes the buffets. The buffets. Yeah, I think so. Another reason to move to Vegas. Right. Exactly. I love buffets. Um, my grandma passed away. God, like two weeks ago. I'm so sorry. It's okay. It was interesting. We're both going through the same We're, thing. It's and for me, I was more concerned about how my mom. My mom would feel, I feel my that mom's way. Mom. Yeah. I was like, oh God. And then also it's like a reminder that like, we're all gonna die and it's yeah. like one step closer to death. And right. you know, uh, you know, if people die according to who's older, I guess you know what I mean, that's the best case scenario. This is the best case scenario. Best case scenario is people, everyone that you love dies in order of, of age. Birth. Yeah. Now, unfortunately, <laughs> that, that does doesn't not, always happen. Yeah. I'm, I'm only laughing because this isn't comfortable to talk about death. We laugh not, out of pain. Out of pain. That's why, you know, comedy comes from pain. Right. We laugh as a way of dealing with coping. our pain. Um, yeah. But my grandma was 87. She had just turned 87. She lived in like a place called Juniper Hills, which hmm. is by Palmdale or Lancaster, which is like a life in an area that I'm, I'm not trying to be part of at all. But yeah. she lived in this hippie, bizarro area. And she didn't even die of old age. She was celebr- She was three days after her birthday. She was meeting some friends and uh, at a probably like a hometown buffet or some kind of cesspool or something. Like she jumps in her car, doesn't put her seatbelt on. It already drives not great because she's she's too old. She was too old to be driving, and she thinks she was going too fast. She flipped like twelve times, got f- thrown out of the car. The car like landed on her, but she was still speaking when people found her. It was the most brutal. That's bizarre. Really bad. It's I'm have to laugh. It's so intense. It's like I don't I don't even need to it's like tell terrible. this. Story. But it was like eighty seven. You got through the birthday. You're you know you're like you got people to meet things to do. Like that's and that's very sad. I'm so sorry. No, it's okay. And then her little dog. I'm laughing because this is so uncomfortable. Not because I like I'm for any of yeah. this. Just because that's my what I do. But uh, yeah. And then her dog died. Her of, tiny little dog from the from accident? the car accident. That's terrible. I know. I just couldn't believe it. Yeah. It was so shocking and brutal, but uh, yeah, it's the month of, of losing grandmas, and it is it was way more sad than I thought it would be, because I thought maybe I'm not as connected to her, but yeah. but I did love her, and it is really sad. And it also becomes symbolic, too, of a an end of an era in your family and in your life, and, and yeah. I mean, as sad as it is for the person, for the people who love them, it also becomes a, a representation of a... a, a, a I mean, my grandmother was the last of that generation in my yeah. family to be alive. So oh, now wow. that symbolizes that that's completely, that connection to that past is gone. Yeah. yeah. Um, and also just like the, this goes for anybody, but like just the idea, sometimes the saddest thing is I could, I, I, you can never talk to that person again. Yeah. Whether you wanted to or not, right. or if you meant to call or if you meant to hang out. Right. Just being like, oh, wow, I was going to call and I didn't, and now I can... And now they're just gone. They're I gone. I can't believe it. I yeah. can't. And then you can write a letter to them or you can pray or you can talk to their spirit. But it's just it's so, uh, f- yeah, final. I but, agree. Um, but how do I dig us out of this hole? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, you're, you're so, so you're living your life. You're not, you're so, here. <laughs> okay. So <laughs> I moved to Los Angeles. <laughs> I go to <laughs> I go to USC briefly. Oh, you do? Yes, very briefly. You got into USC. I went to USC very briefly. Yeah. And when I was there, there were some very talented people there who've gone on to do very well. Jay Roach was there at the time I was there. Yeah. He has gone he directed the Austin Powers movies among many other fabulous things. Larry Karaszewski and uh, Scott Alexander were there. They are writers of some fabulous movies including Ed Wood, which is one of the great movies of oh, all time. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, 
John Singleton was there. Oh, really? Michael Lehman was there. A lot of people who were who were there have gone on to do great things. What happened with John Singleton? He's he working. He's working. I think he's working. So you went to the school with all these people. So, so I went to USC briefly, um, and I don't have anything against school or film school, but for me personally, what I learned for myself was that there's no magic to getting a movie made. If you want to make a movie, the only thing standing between making it and not making it is having the money to make it with. God, yes. That's all there is to it. God damn it, yes. So when I was at school, I felt like in the film school, they were starting to do and learn the things that I felt I had done when I was growing up, that I sort of taught myself those basic things. You're like, hello, I invented editing, everybody. exactly. Didn't you know? Oh, Jesus. Sergey Rifkin. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, God. So, uh... I left school and just started writing scripts and knocking on doors trying to get a movie funded. And I got very lucky, and my first film got funded when I otherwise would have been in school. How old were you at the time? I was about 20 when I made the film. You were 20? Yeah. Hey, we just felt an earthquake. Oh, we're still feeling it. My mouth is a It's game. still. It's actually still going. It's a, it's a, it's, I'm holding The whole Adam's building arm. is shaking. We could die here together on this podcast. Oh, my God. I hope this saves and somebody finds it. <laughs> Is it okay? Are we good? I'm I like, think we're good. I'm gripping. It feels, I'm it gripping, feels like it's over. gripping Adam's arm. <laughs> profusely sweating. Oh, my God. What do you think that was? I think it was an earthquake. I know it was, but like, what number on the Richter scale? I'm going <laughs> to... <laughs> hey, thanks. I'm going to guess I'm gonna guess a uh, 5 point. Two. 5.2. I was going to say 5.2. See, we're, on, we're in sync. Very cool. Very cool. Oh, side note of a side note of a side note. I just saw, what's the name of the movie? Where Oh, Shortcuts. Yes, which oh I love. God, that movie is really depressed me. Yes, but it's a great movie. I had no idea what that movie was going to be about. It's powerful. It's a very powerful movie. The, the whole subplot with the Lily Tomlin and the boy that she hits with Lily the car. Tom- with the car. Oh, God, I'm, and I'm thinking about like the rape or yeah. the whatever with the oh, terrible, brutal, but, but, a, but a really powerful film. Such a powerful film. I actually had to give it away and get out of my house. Really, somebody bought it for me naked. They bought me naked and oh, shortcuts. Oh, okay. I thought you were saying it, I misinterpreted what you were saying. Well, well, you know, choose whichever one is more fun. But uh, yeah. no, but uh, no, these two movies. They bought. Uh, what did you think I meant? That I was naked? Yeah. I, I, and I was going to go with it. It was fine. You're like, wow. No, but the, these are two movies that they got me. And I was like, hey, you can have Shortcuts back because I know you want to watch it. And uh, I watched it once. I'm never going to watch it again. <laughs> but uh, And I still haven't finished Well, it. Robert Altman is one of the great filmmakers of all time. One of the great filmmakers. Wait, Earthquake just happened. And where were we before that? We were talking oh, about... money for your movie. Money for your movie. So... So when I learned that the only difference between making a movie and not making a movie is having the money, I decided that I was just going to start looking for the money. God damn it. So I started writing the scripts. The first script I wrote was not the first script that I got to make, but the first script I wrote was The Dark Backwards, speaking of Bridie Elliott and, and the movie that she likes. That's that the I first made. one you wrote? It's the first script I ever wrote. And were you writing to keep it cheap, or were you just writing whatever you wanted to write? I wrote specifically to keep it cheap. I, here was my philosophy when I wrote The Dark Backwards. For the people who don't know that film... It's kind of an oddball film. Uh, it's about a about two garbage men who live in this sort of garbage world, mm-hmm. and one of them is uh, uh, wanting to be a stand-up comic, but he's tragically unfunny and very nerdy, and he grows an arm out of the middle of his back inexplicably, and his friend sees an opportunity to exploit him, 
And it's sort of a circus sideshowy kind of movie. Yeah. It has a great cast. Uh, Judd Nelson plays the comic, and Bill Paxton plays his buddy, and Wayne Newton plays the agent, and yeah. Rob Lowe and James Kahn and Laura Flynn Boyd. So we got a really great cast. Anyway, oh where can everybody find this now? Where it is, is it now streaming? for the first time available streaming on Amazon Prime. For the first time? For the first time. What took so long? I don't know. Well, it's a low priority title for Sony Home Video. Oh. Idiots. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, unless they want to finance anything. Okay. Right. <laughs> but go on, yeah. So anyway, so I wrote that script and I peddled it around and I met these young producers who were working for an old-time producer at the time. Brad Wyman was a young producer. Cassian Elwes was a young producer. Oh, wow. Yeah, and so they were working for Cassian's stepfather, Elliot Kastner. Elliot Kastner had produced many classic films, Brando films, Paul Newman films, Richard Burton films, uh, great films. That's Cassian's dad? Stepdad, yeah. Stepdad? Yeah. I didn't know that. That's right. i got to get him on the so podcast. So Elliot was funding lots of low-budget movies for the burgeoning home video world. Yeah. And so uh, Brad and Cassian were working for him. And Brad read The Dark Backward and said, let's see if we can get Elliot to fund it. So Elliot said no. He didn't want to fund a crazy movie about a guy with a third arm. How much were you looking for? Very little. I mean... What's that? A few hundred thousand dollars. Like you know, I mean, $300,000 or more? Anywhere between 300000 and a million I was looking for. Yeah. Um, and, and that's... You know, you can make a movie a lot cheaper these days because you don't need film. Seems like it's still so hard, though. It's, I wrote a thing and I'm looking for 600000 and people are just like... We only make two to five million dollar movies or... Well, that's true, too. But then... Or 300000 but, but a lot of movies are made for... Under a hundred thousand these days. Yeah, a ghost story was made for about a hundred thousand. Yeah, exactly, and it looked great, and it got a big release. Anyway, so Elliot didn't want to make the dark backward, but he said, "If do you have any scripts for the kids, meaning teenagers?" Yeah, I said, "Of course." You didn't. I didn't. Okay. And he said, "Well, bring it in tomorrow." I said, "Well, let me polish it up a little bit over the weekend. I'll bring it yeah. in on Monday." <laughs> okay. So I brought, I ran home and I wrote a script. How do you do that? Do you still do things like that? I do. How sometimes. the fuck do you do it? You, you have to just cocaine, speed, you coffee. Ha- no, I don't do any of those things. Good. I just uh, get, um, uh, you know, adrenaline starts pumping, and yeah. I just fly on a wave of adrenaline. Okay. So I wrote this movie called Never on Tuesday, which was meant to be like a teen comedy, but I, f- I felt I was being very progressive because it's about two guys who are moving to L.A., driving across country, looking to get laid, and they get into a car accident in the middle of the desert, in the middle of nowhere, with the only other car on the road being driven by a beautiful woman. And they think they're stuck out there in the middle of nowhere with a beautiful woman, they're going to get lucky, but she's gay. And so she's not interested in them, but they learn to be friends. That was was my way of being very very socially conscious uh, before I felt it was... You know, super popular to yeah. do that. Anyway, um, so but, that movie, so Elliot didn't even read it. He just said to Brad and Cassie, is it, do the, will the kids like it? Yeah, well, yeah, the kids will like it. So he let them produce it, me direct it, and we made it. And how much was this? For like, that was probably, at the end of the day, about a half a million. Half a million? Yeah. Yeah. Maybe a little more. What year was this? That was 86 or 7. How old were you at the time? 20. 20 years old, directing yeah. your first movie. Yeah. This is, were you just so excited? I was so excited. Oh my, were you calling up people from USC being like, fuck you, uh, idiot? No, I didn't. Oh, that's cool. You're but busy. I was bi- very busy, <laughs> but I was a little, I was nervous. I'll tell you, I was the youngest guy in the crew. We all took over this little hotel in the middle of Borrego Springs, California, which is in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. Every room was our crew people. 
And so the night before we started shooting, everybody always teased me about being so young. So everybody was at in the dining hall of the hotel the night before the first day of shooting. And it was raucous and loud, and everybody was having a great time, and everybody was drinking. And uh, um, Brad and Cassian were serving food to everybody. I mean, it was just really fun. Oh, my God. So anyway. My dream. Somebody from the hotel came into the ballroom and said, can I have everybody's attention, please? And so the entire room immediately just quieted down and turned to the person from the hotel and, she's, and she said, I have a, a message for someone. And she read the paper. She said, Adam Rifkin, please call your, mom, your mother. No. <laughs> and uh, everybody thought that was really funny. Oh, my yeah. God. Ay, ay, ay. That just made it even worse for me. Jesus but, Christ. But everybody was great. Nobody yeah. treated me uh, disrespectfully because I was young. Yeah. Everybody was totally on board, and we had a great time making the movie. What were the biggest things, I mean, uh, that, that came up that you were like, ooh, learned that in my first movie. I'll never do that again. Or- well, I... One of the things that I, I learned so much, Yeah. but one of the things that I learned was that, and I didn't realize it, is that so much of what I taught myself making Super 8 movies applied. Yeah. Like, you know, so, you know, shooting, getting, one angle. shooting certain, 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 certain coverage, you know, I learned coverage because I needed to just sort of learn it as I was doing it. I, I, uh, and so that applied. The only thing that was different was the cameras were better, bigger. Yeah. I had more help from crew people and such. I had better actors. Uh, no offense, Greg Anderson, out there somewhere, uh, uh, or my sister. But um, the figuring out, like on the first day, that it was the same principle mm-hmm. was very uh, comforting. I also learned a lesson from my DP the first day, the first shot. He said something to me that I always will remember. Who was the DP, by the way? His name was Alan Jones. He was from England, and he had shot a movie that Brad and Cassian and Elliot had made prior called White of the Eye, which was, which was directed by Donald Camel. It's a great movie. Anyway, so he said, when you're directing, you're going to be asked a million questions all day, every day. Do you want the toothbrush to be blue or yellow? Do you want the hat to be a baseball hat or a derby? Do you want the car to be a Honda or a you know, Mitsubishi? And he said, your job is to say yes or no to all these questions. The job of the director is, you know, the, 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 the directing is the sum of all your decisions. You know, directing a movie, the movie is a sum of all your choices and decisions. If you say yes to something or no to something and then you're not happy later with the result... Don't blame the DP or don't blame the prop guy or don't blame anybody else but yourself yeah. because you said yes or you said no. So if you're exhausted, if you've been asked too many questions, if you can't deal with it at the moment and somebody brings you a sketch and says, do you want the set to look like this? You have to focus on it and you have to, you have to give the, the right answer yeah. for you because if you just say, I, I don't care, you deal with it and then you don't like the set, it's your own fault. Do you feel like when you were watching a bunch of movies or maybe you'd watch your friend's student films, I don't know if you ever did that, if you watched sure, your friend's... Sure, of course I did, yeah. Did you ever have this like silent uh, internal experience where you're like watching your friends' movies and having such strong feelings as to what you would have done and where you would have cut out of a thing or what you would have chosen? And you, I never would have used that color. And that was part of your knowing like, oh, I meant to do this because I feel so, I have such strong, uh, such a strong vision for things or such a strong opinion. Not really. I don't really look at other people's films that way. I mean, I have. Uh, me neither. I have, a, <laughs> I have a strong opinion of what I would want to do with my. With your stuff. Stuff. Yeah. But if somebody gives me something to look at or sh- shows me something, I'll give them my notes, my honest opinion. I think you should shorten here. I think you could do this there. I, I think I've given, I mean, and friends do that with mine. 
too. Yeah. I have, and we if all do ask. that. Yeah, yeah, we all. Whenever I'm making a movie, I have people who I trust give me their thoughts in the editing room. And that's the thing too. You don't. It's like who you choose to get in your notes from is a huge thing, right? You need people that you trust who will be honest with you. Yeah, and who are you know who get what you're doing and are smart. Um, and here's the problem: you you need that core group of people who will be honest with you because most people will just say, "Oh, great job." Yeah. They and because they don't care enough about you to care if you succeed or fail. Yeah. So you have to have that small group of people who do care enough about you that they want you to succeed. So they'll be the ones that say, your movie's half an hour too long. You've got to figure out how to cut it down. I mean, I've had that, my most recent film, that happens. That happened. That very thing happened. Uh, my mentor is a director named John Landis. He directed many big films. Are you serious? Yeah. Wait, Max's dad? Yeah, yeah. Oh my god! I just saw Max at a at a at yoga. We ended up doing a yoga class together. <laughs> he looked very healthy and happy, and I was happy to see well, that. Well, I'm happy to see that too. I've known Max since before he was born. But but yes. Yeah, so so he- John, when I first made my first film, and I was 20 years old, I reached out to him and I said, "I'm a big fan of yours," and I made my first movie, and I'd love for you to see it. And he very graciously invited me to the Universal lot, screened the movie, took me to lunch, gave me his thoughts. What? And he has since done that on every movie I've ever made, and we've become very good friends over the years. How did you just, how are you so brave to reach out to him? How did you know where to find him? I knew where to find him because a young producer I knew uh, had an office in his bungalow. And when I learned that, I said, I need to get in touch with John Landis and show him my first film. That is such a beautiful story. So he came into the editing room, as he does with all my films, of my current film, The Last Movie Star, and I showed it to him. And we were, me and the editor were at a, point where we couldn't figure out how to get it any shorter and it was about two hours long oh wow and i felt like it was probably too long but i was snow blind does that just mean you're so married you love it it's your thing you're too in it i'd say you're too in it i wouldn't say it's because you love it every detail of it it's just that you can't see the forest for the trees you can't see clearly what it needs and what it doesn't need any longer so he came in he watched it he said it's it's half an hour too long and what you should do is you should cut out this, 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 and this. Watch. And then we went through it on during the day. And he said, "This. Is, why do you have this scene in here? I said, well, well because this it was a very important reason. He said, that doesn't mean anything. Cut it out. And then you'd cut it out and you'd see it without it and be like, wow, that, that's way better. So we did that all day. And by the time he left, the movie was 25 minutes shorter and it was so much better. Oh, my God. Yeah. That's incredible. Yeah, yeah. What do you think it is about the two of you that, that uh, took to each other? Well, he's just been super, uh, when I was first starting out, he was just super generous with his time. And I was always so grateful and I was always such a fan. And because of him um, leading by that kind of generous example, I have been that way with people just because it makes me feel good to help people who are coming up just like obviously it has helped him. I mean, it has made him feel good to help people, you know? That's so nice. So it's been great. And, uh... But it is important to have a core group of people you you respect, and because uh, I know sometimes, like, I, I if you have a if you have a person whose opinion you don't respect, you wouldn't want to have, or like whose taste you don't like, you'd have no interest in letting them watch it, would mm. you? Because you'd be like, well, uh, what are well, these notes? I can't even take. I'll tell you what's interesting. I've had people who I don't necessarily agree with them, yeah. be in little screenings, and everybody gives their opinions. I generally feel like if everybody gives a different thought you're in good shape because mm-hmm. everybody's just giving you their personal opinion and somehow the movie is either generally working or generally not working, but... If it's all has, the way through. Yeah. But if everybody says the same thing, mm-hmm. oh, the ending doesn't work. You got to listen to that. You got to listen to that. Yeah. Absolutely. And so even if somebody you don't respect their opinion gives you the same note as someone who you are do respect, 
maybe it's worth checking, you know, checking into. Yeah. Well, God, so you made your first movie. The DP says that you've got to have the answers to all these questions. Yes. And another thing I learned just yeah. before I started making my first movie, I, when I was at USC, I did see some really great filmmakers speak. Oh, who? They would screen their films there and they would speak afterwards. So I saw David Lynch speak and when he screened Blue Velvet and I saw Terry Gilliam speak when oh he screened uh, Brazil and Milos Forman screened... Um, Amadeus and... Uh, Jeez, oh, that was a big movie in my upbringing. It's a great movie. Yeah. So anyway, so Tara Gilliam said, when you're making a movie, everything feels like it's all going all wrong all the time. And he's right about that to a certain degree. He made and, a movie about it. Yeah. yeah. And so that always plays in the back of my mind when I'm making a movie. But part of the chaos of making a movie is what I love about shooting a movie. Because everything's going wrong. The sun is going down. The prop doesn't work. The actor won't come out of his trailer. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you're, you have to get kicked off the location in... in 15 minutes, but, and you had, you know, 20 shots planned. How can you say what you need to say at this location in one shot? And then you have to problem solve and, and change everything you had planned on doing before that all goes out the window. You have to completely do something different, but more often than not, that sort of, uh, hyper adrenaline fueled, you know, need to problem solve will create something better than what you originally planned to do. That has happened to me on every movie multiple times. Isn't it so nice being in the moment, being so present, because you have to be completely you present. Have to you have be. to shut the world out of something yeah. in the middle of the ocean. You're all working towards a common goal. Yeah. Yeah. That's another thing I learned, too, on my first movie, which is when you're making a movie, there's a big crew, there's a lot of people running around, there's so many things and so many problems and so many uh, distractions. But once the cameras are rolling and you call action... All that matters is what's happening in front of the camera. Yeah. And you have to be singularly focused on what's being filmed to make sure you have what you need. Because if you allow yourself to get distracted by all those other things while you're shooting and you miss what you need, then you're screwed in the editing room. You know, you know what I think is so dangerous? Hair and makeup. Hair and like, I've heard somebody else say this and I always had this back in my mind, even you know, working on things as an actress, but like, and then it would terrify... Oh. Well, that word is part of me right now today. But anyway, um, trying not to use that word. But uh, I've thought like if you hire the wrong hair and makeup or even wardrobe, I think it's more hair and makeup. No disrespect to any hair and makeup artists listening to this, but there is a catty, they're all about, sometimes they can be all about them or there can be like this catty, gossipy weirdness if you get the wrong hair and makeup people. Actually, I think I heard John Landis talk about this on Dinner for Five on really? John Favreau's show. Interesting. And I remember him saying that, and I, I'm addicted to that show. I love that mm, show so great much. Show. Uh, but I remember it resonated with me so intensely because there's a truth to that, because that's where you're supposed to feel safe as an actor. You're preparing, you're getting yeah. everything together, and then if you don't feel safe, that can uh, fuck with the mood or the atmosphere or the actors. Well, uh, yeah. I mean, but it doesn't only have to be the hair or the makeup people. Anybody on the set who is. A bummer. (laughs) Negative or gossipy or creating drama. Um, And, you know, you got a lot of people in a small, concentrated environment, so it's inevitable that it can sometimes happen. But that can be toxic to the creative process. Do you work with the same people every single time now? Have you gotten to that? There's a lot of people I work with over and over again, but sometimes they're not available or sometimes um, they've moved on to some other profession. So, 
So you, you people know, are leaving uh, the business. It, it happens. <laughs> Believe it or not, it happens. <laughs> but I love the idea of working with people that you have a shorthand with, yeah. and, and I love the idea of working with people that you like and 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 are friends with. So I've done that a lot, and I hope to continue to do that. So where do we leave off? Before I took us on this weird journey. Okay, so. John Landis is giving you notes. Twenty five minutes shaved off your movie. That's uh, right, and that's what that's the most recent one. That's the, the most the recent last, movie. Last movie the last star. Last movie star. The last movie star with Burt Reynolds. That's right. I can't wait. When, oh, I had an opportunity to see this, and I missed my blew my chance. No, you can see it right now. Where is it now? It is now in select theaters, and it is available on every other platform simultaneously because it was given a. It's being released by A twenty four. Oh, it called, is. Yeah. Oh, congratulations! Thank you. They're the coolest. They're the coolest, and it's called a day and date release, which I'm sure you know what that means. I don't at all. Okay, day and date but release is is usually traditionally. A movie is released theatrically. Stop and then, yelling at me. That's no, all right. Okay. And then I get excited. <laughs> I spit on the microphone. Me too. Um, uh, so traditionally, a movie is released theatrically, and then there's a 90-day window before it is available on any other platform. But a day and date release is it is released theatrically and simultaneously available on every other platform. And why has that started happening? Well, it's a way to get independent films seen more readily. Yeah. Um, because... Uh, nobody goes to the movies. Nobody goes to the movies, uh. and it's very expensive to promote a movie. And so, to promote a movie once in the theater, and then to promote a movie again, oh wow, it's available on other platforms, very expensive. So, this is a way to consolidate. consolidate. Exactly. Yeah. Thanks. <laughs> um, so, but the last movie star is a dream come true project for me. Tell me everything. Be- okay, because when I was a kid, growing up in Chicago, making movies. My hero was Burt Reynolds, and I always thought he was the coolest guy and the funniest guy, and at that time, he was the biggest movie star in the world, and people think to themselves, they know what a movie star is. They think The Rock is a movie star. They think Brad Pitt is a movie star, but nobody today is as famous as Burt Reynolds was in his heyday. Oh, really? Yeah. He was the biggest movie star in the world, and the number one box office draw for five years in a row which is also kind of unheard of. But, you know, the mark of a real movie star is that they can be in any movie, good or bad, and it's a giant hit just because they're in it. Because people will go to see them, yeah. not the movie. Yeah. And so he is the epitome of that. And he was in a lot of great movies and uh, you know, some other movies that weren't as great. But Wasn't he also in, uh, in oh God, Starting Over? Great movie. That's him, right? Yeah, that's him. I mean... Great movie. I just saw that because Bridie Elliott told me, because I love uh, An Unmarried Woman. Great movie, It's one too. of my favorite yeah, movies. I love that movie. And so I, she's like, you have to see Starting Over. And I saw it, and I fell in love with Burt Reynolds. I yeah. went, I had, again, like, I had this idea of him. Yeah. Because he's so famous, and that name is so powerful. Yeah. And then to see that movie where he's so gentle yeah. and still and funny yeah. and subtle I was like, oh my God, I'm in love with Burt Reynolds. He's the best. And this is the thing that has always, from the time I was a kid, that pissed me off, is that Burt Reynolds never gets his due as an actor. He doesn't? No. He, he's, no he's seen, his, his movie star persona overshadows his actor persona. Oh. And as a result, they don't think of him when they think of the great actors. But he is a great actor. And if you look at movies like Starting Over, or Deliverance, or The Longest Yard, or, I mean, he was nominated for an Oscar for Boogie Nights. He was? Yeah. Keep going. He's a brilliant actor. So, and I also just thought he was the coolest guy. So I wanted to always work with Burt Reynolds. And so I thought to myself, I want to give something back to Burt Reynolds for all the joy he's given me so, and so many others for so many years. Um, I'm going to write a role for Burt Reynolds. I didn't know him. 
but I'm going to write a role for Burt Reynolds that is going to be a great actor's piece yeah. that he can really sink his teeth into, and hopefully he'll want to do it. Um, and I took the chance, and I wrote the script, and we sent it to his manager. And I said to the manager, please tell Bert that if he doesn't want to do this movie, I'm not making it. I only wrote it for Bert. And I meant it. Did you, you said that to the manager or your representation sent it to... Me and my representation both talked to his manager. Wow. And he said, look, I'll send it to Bert, but I can't promise you what he'll say. He's Bert. He'll, Bert does what he wants to do. So um, Bert Reynolds called me the next day. He did? Yeah. And he, <laughs> he said, um, this, and the movie's about an old man who used to be a movie star who is, the events of the story force him to face the mistakes of his past. And, uh, and it's a warts and all kind of character based on him. And uh, I, he said to me, you know, this movie hits very close to home for me. And this would be tough for me to, to face. And as he's talking, I'm thinking to myself, He's going to politely pass on the movie. Yeah. And then I'm thinking to myself, but how cool of him to call me and pass personally. <clears throat> and also I'm thinking to myself, I can't believe I'm talking to Burt Reynolds. Yeah. You know, I can't believe so Writing the script, was, it was worth it just for this phone call. I'm yeah. thinking. And, I, and as I'm thinking all this stuff to myself, I almost missed him say he was going to do the movie. But uh, he, I finally caught it. He said, and if you had sent this movie to me 10 years earlier, I wouldn't have been able to face it. But at this point in my life, I have to do it. I'm in. So and it was amazing. He said yes. But, and I naively thought, oh, Burt Reynolds, at this stage of his life, with this kind of role, we're going to get it funded in two seconds. But it took eight years to find the money. No. Yeah. Wait, he said yes to you eight years ago? Well, now it's 10 years ago. So it took no. about a, we shot it a year ago, and we've been promoting it for about a I mean, year, how about am a half ever, year. How am I ever going to find money if you can't even find financing for your movie? It's tough out there, finding money to make movies. Oh, God. Um, but it almost got made and fell through several times throughout oh. those eight years, and I always had to call Bert and tell him that it fell through. But he was always a total mensch about it. I always thought he was going to say, well, we gave it our best shot, kid. Yeah. But no, he said, listen... Keep looking for the money. I'm still going to be here. When you when you finally find it, let me know where to show up, and I'll be there. Yeah. And he held true to his word. And you made this movie. Yeah. And now it is streaming. It is now available on all platforms and theatrically. Can I see it? Where theatrically in L.A.? I in L.A. Here. it's at the Royal, the Lemley. I can't wait. Oh, my God. Yeah, please check it out. Run, Don't Walk, a story of perseverance and filmmaking, tenacity, <laughs> passion. I love this. Thank you. Um. Well, but and then along the way, you went to the French school, right? The French school. The French school here in LA. Oh, I'm like a poor latchkey kid. No, I oh, wish. You didn't? Oh, I want. I would have loved to go, like the Lycée. Yeah, I thought you went there. No, I went. I wanted to go to Marlboro, the oh. all girls school. I didn't go there either. I went to like Van Nuys High School. Oh, you're from here. Born and raised in Hollywood, like West Fountain and Kings Road. I lived in an apartment. I lived uh, in the Hollywood Towers across the street from the 101. Wow. Are your is your family in the biz? My dad's a photographer. Mm-hmm. He took a lot. He looked. He took that photo of Angelica Houston and Jack Nicholson. That's fantastic. Very cool to be able to point to a photo in my own apartment during this apartment podcast, and baby. Photo, and a photo of Jack and Angelica. Of Jack and Angelica, no less. Wow. Uh, showbiz. A couple immortalized in a line of dialogue from Annie Hall. Yes, <laughs> Tinseltown. Wait, what? What do you mean? Paul Simon says they're going to the, the this party with Jack and Angelica. Oh they're God! Be there. Yes. Oh my God. <laughs> Oh, my God. Uh, I love that movie so much. Are we allowed to like that movie still? It's a great movie. I like the movie. Um, but, uh, yeah, then my mom's like an 80s rocker. Uh, she was in a band in the 70s called Promises and then an 80s rock band called Precious Metal. No and then kidding. my dad and my mom met because Rodney Bingenheimer introduced the two. No shit. Yeah. So 
she was on the cover of some pop, like German pop magazine or something, European pop magazine called Bravo. Uh-huh. My dad like was thought she was sexy and was like, I want to meet her. And then Rodney introduced the That's two. That's neat. Yeah, but then they were never married. Yeah, I don't know. Split up when I was six, and uh, he's like thirty years older than her too, or twenty five or thirty years older. Um, Are you close to them? I am close to them, but I have like you know. Oh, actually, no, I don't talk to my dad. Oh, really? But I am working, I've worked through my daddy issues mm-hmm. and, and taught lots of work on myself. But uh, yeah, I haven't talked to him in like two years. And then I love my mom. My mom's like... She's still involved in music? She is. She makes, yeah, she's, she can't, she has to make music. But mm. she, uh, but it's weird because both my parents, and it's fine if they even listen to this, but uh, I have a weird relationship with, uh, like I want to do so much and I throw myself into the world and I'm, have all these things I want to accomplish and I've accomplished lots of stuff. That's fine, but it's not good enough for me. It's like all this other stuff, all this other stuff I want to make and do. And then I have, I'm like the child of these two parents who like swam up close to achieving what they wanted to, but Mm -hmm. didn't really. And that, that does, that, that terrifies me. Right. Especially like, yeah, I don't know. And then I have this, like, I made this joke the other day on my Insta stories, but it was like too real where it just came out of my mouth. I was like, I have this fear of like being like the millennial. Uh, I'm on the old end of the millennials, but I am. I checked on Google. You're but, technically um, a millennial. I'm, a millennial. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like the oldest millennial a millennial can get. But I was like, I don't want to be a millennial Angeline. You know what I mean? Like I just like like I don't. I think I'll be fine. But uh, I think you're going to be fine. Okay, good. Yeah, I, I have great faith in you. You do? I do. Oh, God. Will you be my John Landis? Will you be my mentor? <laughs> my younger, cooler? I think cooler? you can do better, but okay. I'll, I'll try. <laughs> oh, God. But, uh, but yeah, so I, I have like a bizarre, kooky Hollywood family, but I don't come from a lot of money and I don't mm-hmm. like... So that's funny. But yeah, anyway, the long story longer, that's, my, that's a bit of my Interesting. story. Yeah. But... Uh, where were we now? Why did I think you went to the French school? I don't know why I thought that. Because my haircut. Maybe. I wear stripes a lot. That must be it. I'm uh, got these red nails. That's got red, and and the uh, and perfect the, red nails. The little uh, scarf around your neck and the cigarette and the beret. I thought you said scar on my neck. No, no. Do you have a scar I on your do. neck? I do. I had thyroid cancer when I was Let 21. Oh, it's kind of gross. Don't look at it. When no, I it's s- okay. I can take it. I can barely see it. Yeah, it's not gross. Thyroid cancer, 21, and then I have this dog bite. Oh wow! I've, you know, riddle of scars. No tattoos, but, but scars, scars all over are, my body. Scars are cool. I think scars are great. I have them on all my main chakras. Yeah. Well anyway, done. thank you. <laughs> hey, thank you. <laughs> Oh, King of Comedy is one of my favorite movies. That's one of my favorite movies too. To me, it is a per, you know uh, your movies excluded. King of Comedy is a perfect film. I uh, yeah, of course my movies excluded. Oh um, no, I'm just no, saying. No, no, like, no. I mean, I'm my movies are not in the same note. category Don't, at all. I'm not saying that at all. No, I'm saying that. I'm not saying that. I'm though. telling you, Stop the, biting the, with the me. King of Comedy is one of my favorite movies of yeah. all time, and it's a very underrated film, as we know. <sighs> We got to promote that movie on this podcast too. We got to promote all your movies movie. and King of Comedy. Um, <laughs> well, God, I mean, I want to land this plane properly, but we're, we're you know, can I have you for another uh, a little bit? Anything you want. Um, so, but there are moments because you make so you made. Uh, when did Detroit Rock City happen? And also, like, you have such an interesting career, and maybe you can tell me about that more because uh, I don't know if you. I'm sure you've talked about this, but like. You do real mainstream things and you you do these huge like writing jobs and then you make these like really interesting like indie movies. You have yeah. such an interesting career. So like how did that happen? And, and like tell my listeners about because Detroit Rock City and then you you some of your huge uh, movies that you've written that maybe they wouldn't be aware of. Like Small Soldiers and Mouse Hunt and 
underdog. And, Don't stop. Keep going. Yes. Um, <laughs> yes. But I'll tell you exactly that. Okay. So I've been very, I love telling all kinds of stories. I love big stories and little stories and scary stories and funny stories. I just like to tell stories. It's like a spoken word right now. Uh, a little bit. <laughs> yeah. So I like to do that. And so because of that, I don't have one genre that I only want to focus on. I want to focus on all kinds of movies. Many of my hero filmmakers are that way. Like John Huston, for example, speaking of Angelica Huston. I mean, yeah. he, told all, he told all kinds of stories. He made all kinds of movies. Comedies, dramas, noir, crime. I mean, everything. So... Um, I'll, I, I write, I got a lot of ideas. I write real fast. And I write all kinds of different movies and some of them I get to make and some of them I get to sell and some of them I've been hired to write. Now, because I can do lots of different types of stories and genres, it has hurt me in Hollywood. Why? Because people are confused. Like, who is this guy? Yeah. If I'm just the comedy guy, it's easier for them to put me into a category and see me as one thing. Or if I'm just the family movie guy, or if I'm just the indie guy, but because I've done a lot of different things, it confuses people who are in a position to be able to hire me, and that has that has hurt me. But I couldn't do it any other way. Yeah. So I, even though it makes it more challenging in an already challenging business, I can't stop myself. Now, again, not to make it about me, but this is a conversation. How dare you? But I actually <laughs> feel that way sometimes about me because uh, that it has affected my acting because it's like I sold shows, I had this blog, I have this podcast, I do all these things that people are like, who, what is it? I can't figure this out. Or it's like pick a lane, even though in this time of multi-hyphenates, right. you know, but it does confuse people when you're not like, when you're all over the place. It does confuse people, but I think, Why can you swear on this podcast? Of course. Are you kidding me? I of say course. fuck them. You know, I mean, if they can't take a joke, if you want to do lots of different things, you should do lots of different things. Like, like, uh, and by the way, anybody who says pick a lane now will not say pick a lane later when it hits. When it hits. Yeah. So... Screw them. Yeah. But so you, so, okay, but you're doing all these things and... Telling a lot of different kinds of stories. So Detroit Rock City came about because I had written a bunch of those big family movies like Mouse Hunt and Small Soldiers at the same time and I had been directing a bunch of independent films and the planets just kind of aligned and one of the producers of that movie, well, the, it, the story actually goes a little bit farther back. I was making a movie called The Chase with Charlie Sheen. Okay, oh, wow. which is a car crash movie. Yeah. It was a, a little independent car crash movie that got bought by 20th Century Fox. And uh, in the editing room of The Chase, the assistant editor, Carl Dupre, wrote Detroit Rock City on spec. Oh. And he asked me to read it. And I thought it was great. And he said, if I ever get this made, will you direct it? I said, sure. But I thought it'll never get made. Because yeah. he'll never get the, song, the Kiss songs and he'll never get the rights to use the Kiss... Look, the, the look of the Kiss makeup and Kiss aren't even together anymore and I just thought it's a pipe dream. Anyway, as I went off to do other things, little did I know, he was slowly putting that movie together. He got it to uh, a producer named Barry Levine who had been Kiss's photographer. Oh, really? Barry Levine gave it to Gene Simmons. Gene Simmons was looking to produce films. He attached himself and the band and the music. Holy fucking shit! And Kiss reunited for a big reunion tour. So suddenly, all those planets aligned. Their producing partner on the movie happened to be a woman who I was dating at the time. Who? Named Kathleen Haas. She, totally unaware of my history with the movie, this is several years after I read it, Yeah. totally unaware of my history with the script, she said, hey, I'm producing this movie. It's coming together. We're 
looking for a director. Would you be interested in reading it? Wait a minute. But wasn't your name attached as part of his package? Not to at try all. To, really? How not interesting. Okay. I was not involved at all. Oh, wow. So when they started looking for a director, she asked me to read it. I said, not only have I already read it, yeah. I've already said yes. Oh, so, my God. So when we took it to New Line Cinema as a package, it turned out Mike DeLuca was a Kiss fan, uh, and it was greenlit in the room. And within three weeks, we were in Toronto prepping. Oh, my God. Yeah. It was one of those great moments. Did you have a blast doing that movie? A blast. Yeah. A bla- an absolute great time. And uh, Giuseppe Andrews is in that movie? He was in the movie. It's the first He's... time I saw him. I was in Cabin Fever 2 with him, directed by Ty West. Uh-huh. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> the train wreck, but Speaking we had a of great Giuseppe, time. Did you see the documentary I made about Giuseppe? What's the name of that? Giuseppe Makes a Movie. No, where do I find this? That you can find uh, you know, on all the, all the streaming sites. All the streaming sites? It, if World I may Wide be Web. so bold as to say, yeah. it has a coveted 100% on Rotten Tomatoes. It does? It does. I don't even understand Rotten Tomatoes, Okay, though. well, prior to uh, that movie, I thought, oh, Rotten Tomatoes is bullshit. This, aggregate, yeah. this aggregating site, <laughs> is this, it's the ruination of Hollywood. You know, anyway, when I got 100% on Rotten Tomatoes, I was like, you know, there's something to this Rotten Tomatoes thing. Yeah. I like it. <laughs> I just saw like the sound just just go the whole thing. (laughs) You're hitting the red zone. Um, So it's a document. So I don't know if you know, but Giuseppe lives lives not now he's moved moved to Texas, but he lived in a trailer park with his dad. Oh God! And made movies with all the homeless people that lived around the trailer park, feature length films, uh, one after another, after another, after another. And I made a documentary about him and this family of homeless people and addicts and misfits that he assembled as his troop of actors. And I followed them as they made one of their movies. And uh, I uh, am very happy with the way it turned out. You still talk to Giuseppe? I haven't talked to him in a long time. Uh, How come? No reason? He's a very odd guy and he gets very withdrawn and he's very withdrawn at the moment. Why is he so odd? You know, we all have our demons. That's true. You heard it here first. (laughs) Exclusive. (laughs) Okay. Um... How do you write so fast? And please tell me how to do it. Um, it's, ju- it's just discipline. It's uh-huh. not hard. You, you probably know it's not hard to write a scene. Mm-hmm. But the hard part is to force yourself to continue sitting there writing scene after scene after scene after scene. Yeah. And make sure somehow that they all move the story forward from the beginning to the end. Yeah. Uh, but it's, to me, the hard part is the discipline, which I just force myself to do. There's how quickly do you come up with a story or what, what inspires you? I have a lot of stories always that I write down, millions of ideas. And then when I sit down to write a script, sometimes an idea hits me just in its totality and I just have to get it out and I just have to write it. Yeah. And then sometimes I have an old idea that I, I rediscover. I'm like, oh yeah, I always like that idea. I want to rethink about that some more. And I want, you know, like for example, the movie with Burt Reynolds. I had always wanted to make a movie with Burt Reynolds. I had always wanted to make a movie about aging. I'd always wanted to make a movie. My grandmother, speaking of my grandmother, she said something to me once when I was young that stuck with me and that was probably the germ of the idea for this movie. And she said, this was probably when she was in her 80s, she said to me uh, when she was young, probably 18, 19, and she was very beautiful when she was young. She and her best friend came out of a nightclub after a night of partying. A nightclub then is like Tommy Tommy Dorsey. Very cool though. Uh, But anyway, so she came out of a nightclub drunk, having a great time, laughing, being obnoxious. And she said, suddenly this old man was in their face and wagged his finger at them and said, you know, before you know it, you'll be 80. And he just stormed off. And she said, and she said, they just laughed and laughed and laughed in his face. They thought he was so stupid. They didn't, he didn't know what he was talking about. They just laughed and laughed and laughed. And then she got kind of misty eyed and she said, but you know what? 
he was right. Oh, my God. I don't know whether to laugh or cry. Yeah, I know. I felt that way. Should I be depressed or happy? I think it's a little of both. But um, anyway, so I wanted to do a movie about aging for all these years. And so that's when I finally sat down and said, I'm going to write this movie for Bert now. And I thought of all the different things I had wanted to express about aging in a movie and put them all into the script. I think it would be interesting to see a movie about aging from a male point of view because so often, like, you know, it is it is rough for being a woman aging, but we talk about it so much mm-hmm. and you don't get to hear about it as much, you know, whatever. One of the reasons that I wanted to do a, new, a movie about aging starring Bert was because in his heyday he was such a specimen of virility and masculinity and machismo. I mean, he's so good looking. Mm. You look at him in that sleeveless... Uh, wetsuit in deliverance i mean he's a specimen you know oh my god so i wanted i thought bert losing his masculinity and being frail and being older was particularly poignant that it was him you yeah know? i always think of that when i when i pass by like an old person on the street and i notice that like people don't acknowledge them or you don't look them in the they're eye invisible, yeah. they're invisible and it makes me so sad yeah, yeah. like I could burst into tears right now and I, I've thought about that like as I walk all around the city all the time like yeah. I'm like so I try to acknowledge and yeah. make eye contact and say hello to an old person and then I also have like the, a fleeting thought afterwards being like just because he's old who knows if he's a rapist a yeah. child molester <laughs> right. fuck that creep I don't know him anything who is this guy right, right. I'll acknowledge he exists but like but yeah, it is interesting. And I go, why are we like that? And it's, you know, it's just because it's a reminder of what's to come and like yeah, the it's deterioration. Ref- yeah, it's a reflection of some future we want to deny is, is, <sighs> is there. You know, we're always being chased by these hands of time, you know, and we oh God. think we can keep eluding it and we can't. A- Do I need Juvederm is what you're saying? <laughs> Do I need to get wrestling injections? I think you look fabulous. That's the only right answer you, you could like have said. You look like you're about... 21. Stop it. I, I kid Good. you not. I oh, only great. speak the truth. I kid you not. Oh, I love that phrase. Um, but yeah, when it comes to love and stuff like that, I wonder, wait, are you romantic at all? Sure. Okay. All right. I, sure. I, 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 moved, <laughs> I moved to Hollywood to make movies. I, I must be. Do you think men only strive to be very successful to like attract the best women? I think that that's the, a part of the... Equation. Well, yeah, me yeah. too. Yeah, I'm just glad we agree on that. Yeah, sometimes I just want to sit here on the couch and agree with you. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, um, but then I wonder about like the uh, with love and stuff like that. And since we all do just get older, you know, because even I've, you know, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a woman, but I've dated much younger men, or I've dated like these men who are like, oh, they're so good looking. I've also dated men who are really smart and like uh, maybe possibly look like monsters, but it doesn't matter to me because I love their brain and they're so they're so funny. It's so right. interesting to be with them. I have no type, but. Um, at the end of the day, I just think it's so nice to, uh, because we all do just, uh, fall apart and deteriorate. It, the most important thing is to get along and laugh with another person. You have to be able to, you have to like the person. Like the because person. Because if, because you're, if you're going to be with someone into your old age, yeah, I think looks go, you know, become a minimal part of the package at a certain point. You have to really like their company. Yeah. What's that phrase? Every hot woman, there's some guy who doesn't want to fuck her or something? What's that phrase? It basically sums it up. Yeah. You didn't say it. I said it. Okay. I'm allowed to say it. It's a things. famous expression that I, of course... Uh, you would never say. Would never say. Okay. But I've heard it. I heard it. It does exist. I've heard that it exists. Oh, God. I think my dad used to always tell me that. He used to be like, just so you know, there's always somebody 
hotter, younger, more talented, and like something. And I was like, okay, Gee, leave me thanks, alone. Dad. God. <laughs> and he's like, and don't wear sleeveless shirts. I was like, why? Sleeveless shirts? What's wrong with that? He told me my arms were mulchy. I don't want to talk Let about it. Let me see your arm. I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> Did your dad give you arm issues? I'm all right. I'm like wearing all black, just like. <laughs> Um, I'm over them, over Good. those issues. But uh, how do you? Okay, so how often do you? How often do you write now? Like, do you have a routine? I like to always like to know about a creative person's routine because okay. when you're freelance, yeah, you got to build structure into your life. When it depends. When I'm writing something for myself, like when I sat down to write the the last movie star, yeah. I write streaming everywhere. Go on. That's right. Available on all platforms <laughs> from eight twenty four. Um, I sit down, I wake up early and I start writing. What's early? Five. Okay. And I start writing, you know, by six or seven and I just write all day. What's all day? Probably till eight, nine at night. Um, I'll take a lunch break or a dinner break or both. Do you go on a walk? Sometimes. Run an errand? Mm, Generally not. Okay. I'm pretty focused. And I use the time to try and get to the end of the script as quickly as possible. And then if I need to rewrite things, I go back. But I never. I try not to get into a cycle of just rewriting the first twenty pages over and over and over again. I try to keep moving forward. And you're in final draft. Are you in like a word thing? Are you making a script? Final mind? final draft. Okay. Um, but so I try to get it, the first draft done as quickly as possible. Now, when I write a script for hire uh, for, for a development job, let's say it's I it's I use I usually am are a little more on like business hours oh wow yeah like That's I interesting I, I kind of quit a little earlier in the day I, I start a little later in the day yeah um, because the motivation is a different motivation it's that's that's more my job script as opposed to my passion script I try to have passion for everything I write but certain things that I write for myself I just have to get it out onto the page as fast as possible I'm just I, I'm, I'm obsessed but if I'm writing something for a, a studio, that's that's my that's when I go to work. That's my job. Do you feel like uh, you, like you really have to catch the inspiration? Like when you're like feeling it, you have to like, or can you hook into it? Do you have to? Are there days where you're like, oh god, I was very into writing this thing, and uh, but then some days you're just not feeling it at all. You don't yeah, feel inspired. That happens all the time. Do you have to push past it when you're not inspired anyway, and just fucking get in front of the computer. Sometimes yes, and sometimes I'll just take that day off. Okay. Um, sometimes though, and I've had this happen, you get through, you know, ha- like, this is why I try to get to the end quickly because sometimes you'll get halfway through a script that's a passion project and then something comes up that you need to do to pay the bills. And so you'll put the passion project aside, you'll do the job to pay the bills. And then when you resume the passion project, the passion is no longer there. Oh no, where'd it go? It, How do you get it back? I, I, I often can't. Oh my so God. that has happened. So that's why when I'm working on a passion project, I try to get it done at least all the way through at once. Before I do anything else, like in one day, could you knock it out in one day? Maybe it's possible. The fastest I ever wrote a well, I wrote the I write real fast, but like uh, I wrote Mouse Hunt in a week. In a week, I wrote The Chase in three days. I heard there's some urban legend that says uh, Sylvester Stallone wrote Rocky in one night. Is that a lie? I guess anything's possible, you know. All right. I've heard uh, another urban legend is that John Hughes wrote, which one was it? I don't remember which one of his classics it was, but supposedly he wrote it on a plane from New York to L.A. or L.A. to New really? York or Chicago to L.A. I don't remember which, but supposedly the, the urban legend is he banged it out on the flight. Yeah. 
Is he a bad guy now in the news? Did we read we read stuff about him? Yeah, and I don't care about uh, somebody's work is where I love Woody Allen's work. I'm not going to talk about him as a personal, you know, what in his personal life. But yeah, then I thought I read something about uh, John Hughes, and I was like, say it ain't so. I don't know anything about John Hughes' personal life. I like just Molly love... Ringwald they had an interview and something really? weird. I don't oh, know. I, don't know I think so maybe it. I'm wrong, but it's like oh, I'm just like oh god. I don't know about that. But I still love all the work. You're allowed to still like the work. His movies are great, classics. Yeah. Um, so how do you balance? romantic life when you're a person who's going to get up at five in the morning and you're like, I need to, because it's a selfish, in a wonderful way, it's a selfish profession. You know, it's all about what's going on internally. You want to get on the page. You're very, you know, you have to be very important to yourself because you are you're like, yeah. and uh, so how do you date someone and find the balance between love and getting to know someone and fostering a relationship and then doing your work? Well, that can be challenging and it has been in the past. Yeah. You have to date somebody who understands that. Hold for the plane. Hold for the plane. Uh, <laughs> you have to date somebody who understands that or you probably won't be dating very long, you know? Have you ever been married? No, I've never been married. Have you been married? Uh, I was engaged. I was with like a some drummer in a band who was lovely. We were together for five years, but we were like so young. Uh-huh. And uh, no, I do want to get married and I want to have a kid at some point. Maybe we'll see what happens. Mm-hmm. Uh, but do you want to have kids? I'm not like proposition. I'm sorry. I'm like, Are you flirting with me? <laughs> no, always. Oh God. But uh, this time I'm asking this question so clunky. But like, but do you want kids in your life? Uh, maybe. Yeah. It, it really would depend on who it was with. Well, I should hope so. Yeah. yeah. I mean, <laughs> I, I've as I've gotten older and I've seen people who've had kids who just for the sake of who are kids. still together and doing great and are the perfect partners and in and and are really uh, you know healthy together. And people who have had kids who probably shouldn't have been together and now they're apart and it's messy because there's kids involved. Yeah. I really would only want to have kids if it was with the right person. Yeah. And I know obviously that's what you would say in any instance, but now that I'm older and I've seen so many examples of people who thought it was the right person and then they got divorced when they had little kids, I just want to, I, I just, I'd hope that uh, I'd, if I was going to have kids, it would really be with somebody that I liked yeah. a lot and wanted to do that with forever. Yeah, because it's a lot of different reasons people are having kids where it's like, oh my God, we got to make this mad dash. You're running out of time. Yeah. A woman's aging out of a thing or she's got to be do in vitro or let's freeze an embryo or I'm going to freeze my eggs. Will you be the man who has my ba- a baby with me? And it's just all these like crazy reasons just to like, but also I get as a woman, I want the like life experience of having sure. a baby. yeah. But at the same time, I'm a romantic and I'm like, oh, I know what that feeling is when you're a teenager and you have that teenage love where you're like, we're best friends and we love making out and talking till four in the morning and we're on the phone and it's like, no, you hang up. No, you <laughs> hang up. No, you. No, you. And you like truly are madly in love. Like right. I believe that is real. And it seems like I'm, I feel like people are like society is getting further and further away from that because you forget that that. And I really do you think that's still possible. Of I think, course, I think it's possible at any age. But with Instagram and like. Porn and all these things makes you disenchanted. It makes me disenchanted sometimes. It, it's easy to get cynical. Well, cynicism is kind of in right now. It's been in for a long time. Yeah, it's been a, it's, been a been a wave of cynicism for a while. But yeah. you can fight against that. You can fight against that. Yeah. Um, I didn't mean to bury the lead. So you have a ponytail. <laughs> Has yeah. any girl ever told you to um, to cut off your ponytail? Let me put it to you this way. Uh, every girl? Has every girl told me to cut off my ponytail? The answer is yes. Why? How long have you had a ponytail? Why do they all ask? Oh, my God. The ponytail exclusive. <laughs> <laughs> how, how, okay. Uh, how long have you had the ponytail? Why has every girl asked you to cut it off? And why haven't you? This is uh, fascinating. I've had a ponytail since I was about 17. Ooh. 
Every girl asked me to cut it off because it doesn't look good. Oh, my God. Adam <laughs> Ripken. <laughs> Why have I not cut it off? I guess because I just have a look that I've grown accustomed to. Yeah. And um, <laughs> I'm not ready to make a change in my look yet. But but maybe, maybe I will soon now that it's... Now that this information has gone public. That's the cutest. Speaking thing of Max ever. Landis. Yes. Okay. This applies to Max Landis. So John Landis's wife, Deborah, is a very famous Academy Award nominated costume designer. His mom's a famous costume designer? Yes, that's wow. right. And she said to me and she one of the movies she designed was Raiders of the Lost Ark, in addition to the Blues Brothers and all of John's movies. But um, she said that for a character to be iconic you have to be able to recognize the character in silhouette. And when you think about Charlie Chaplin, and when you think about Indiana Jones, when you think about Mickey Mouse... Alfred Hitchcock. Alfred Hitchcock. You can recognize them all in silhouette. So, interestingly enough, I learned that from Deborah Landis. Not much later than learning that from her, I went to visit a friend of mine whose next-door neighbor happened to be in the condo next door, Max Landis. The front door was frosted glass. He said, oh, yeah, Max is home right now. I hear him. Uh, so I said, well, I'll just knock on the door and say hello. So I stood on the outside of the door, and he, through the door, saw my silhouette. And I heard him say, why is Adam Rifkin at my house? What? He recognized me in silhouette. So I guess that means uh, my look is iconic. It is iconic. I better keep my bangs. Yes, you must. And because stay it's this tall. Yeah. This- I think... Well, height changes as you get older. Oh no! Yeah. I don't. I'm not ready to go there yet. Okay, yeah, I don't want to. You don't need to worry that. about that yet. Yeah, I'm only uh, 20. I'm a haggard 29. Are you 29? <laughs> You're the sweetest. That's. Let's just go with that. Yes. Okay. I like to make a joke that I think I could pass for a haggard 28, 29. I think you look fabulous. Okay. Anyway, it's about you. Um, God, but I think we. I think we've uh, not to copy Howard Stern left and right, but uh, I think we've said it all. Okay. We've said so many things. Um. What's next? Well, as the last movie star continues to unfold and uh, um, people uh, see it either in the theaters or on other platforms, I did make a movie prior to the last movie star that is finally getting released after the last movie star called Director's Cut. It was written by Penn Jillette of Penn and Teller. Oh, my God. And it stars Missy Pyle. And uh, Harry Hamlin and Lynn Shea and a few other people. Harry Hamlin, I saw the shooting of this movie and you when you made a cameo on Real Housewives of Beverly Hills. That's which, right. Which I'm completely addicted to. And in 10 years or 15, I want to be on the Real Housewives of Beverly Hills if the franchise still exists. Because I, I love those shows. Well, They're, they came to visit the set. Yeah, I and, remember. And so it made it onto the show. I can't believe so it. So that movie turned out to be a crazy movie. Yeah. It, it opened the Slamdance Film Festival uh, uh, in 2016. Uh, every distributor was scared to death of it because it's a completely insane movie. They had no idea how to sell it. But a new company called Dread Central Presents um, said, we love it, we're game. So they're putting it out in May. In May? Yeah. On all platforms? All platforms. Oh, my God. This is so exciting. Yeah. Well, Jesus. Where are you off to now? I'm going to go to the um, editing room of uh, The Last Movie Star where we are f- finalizing stuff uh, uh, with um, foreign delivery and stuff like that. Foreign delivery. Oh, God. And la- last, last, last thing. Give advice to young filmmakers or first-time filmmakers 
And also with the looking for money thing, I, I'm finding that because I wrote a thing. I'm looking for money. It's the most excruciating thing. I'm just like, ugh. Well, here's the good news for anybody who wants to be a filmmaker now. Yeah. Because when I was starting out and I made Never on Tuesday, you had to shoot your movie on film. There was no other option. And film is expensive. And you have to buy the stock. And you have to dis- de- develop the stock. And you have to print the stock. And you have to rent the equipment to edit it with. And you have to cut the negative. And those hard costs make even a very low-budget movie very expensive. Now, technology has completely caught up with people's ambition. Yeah. You can literally shoot a movie on your iPhone. Tangerine. Tangerine, Unsane, a lot of other movies. Yeah. You can edit it with an app. You can... What app? You, there's editing apps. Gone. You can distribute it to the, a worldwide audience on YouTube or some, Vimeo or something like that. You can promote it to a worldwide audience on social media. You can make that movie for zero money. If you, if you own a cell phone and it's in your pocket now, yeah. there's no excuse why you're not making a movie with it. Ugh. But you need to take it seriously and you need to make it a good movie. Yeah. So you need to write it, you need to cast it well, and you need to take it very seriously. But if you make a really good movie for zero money, it just might get accepted into Sundance and it just might change your life. Or it just might teach you how to do it better the next time. Yeah. But I would say if you're not making a movie right now, it's just because you don't have the motivation to do so. Oh, my God. That's, that's what I think. Cold, hard dose of reality. That's right. The slap <laughs> in the face I needed and the world needed. Um, I was going to say America, but this is international. international. It's a podcast, baby. Global. Um, well, thank you so much for being on the Love Alexi podcast. The first one uh, recorded in the comfort of my, uh, my, my home. I wouldn't do it any other way. Uh, every time uh, you record a podcast with me, I want to come do it at your house. I can't wait. Is that a, is that a threat or a promise? A promise. Okay, good. That's, okay. Me, that's what I think too. <laughs> thank you so much. Thanks.